His blessings are more than we could possibly even begin to number. How thankful we ought to be. Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Luke and uh, we'll just go to Luke right now. I don't know about you, but uh, like most people, I like a, a good story. I remember when I was in the sixth grade, the biggest brat in all of the school, and for some reason, uh, my sixth grade teacher was a, you know, we use that term little old lady a lot of times, but she really was a little old lady. She was about, you know, yay high and and uh, looked to me like she had to be 90 years old or something, but but some way or another, unlike all of those other teachers, I fell in love with her. And uh, for some reason, I, I began to like to read poems. Uh, that Just something about it. And, and, and I began to enjoy stories. Uh, I'll never forget the first book I really fell in love with was The Boxcar Children. Anybody ever read that? Some of you that young, really? <laughs> well, I went from there to Jack London, but uh, but there's something about a story. You know, just stating facts uh, can get really boring. Everything you say might be the truth. But uh, it, it just doesn't move your heart like like a story. But I don't know about you, but I've uh, I've never really enjoyed novels that much unless unless they made a really good point, or uh, I enjoy reading story if it's true. Well, of all of the stories ever told, one of the most interesting, important, insightful intriguing stories is the one we're going to talk about this morning. It's one that everybody needs to hear, and I can almost guarantee you it's not what you're thinking. This story uh, is told by the greatest storyteller that ever lived, and that's Jesus Christ. But don't misunderstand. This is a true story. It's not a parable. It's just a bit of history by the greatest storyteller that ever existed. And it begins in verse 19 of Luke 16. I'm not going to try to read every verse in this chapter, but you can follow along, and I would encourage you to do that this morning. This is the story of a critical contrast. By that, I mean there is a rich man and there is a poor man in this story. But that's not the biggest difference. The biggest difference has to do with their eternal destiny. Every person ought to be interested in this story because these two men represent the two groups of all of humanity. Regardless of who you are this morning, you are in one of these two groups. So this morning, I want us to just take time to look at this story. And uh, it's really a story that's in three chapters. 
It begins with their earthly experience. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man. So I don't have any doubt about whether this is a real true story or not. Because the one who cannot lie said there was a certain rich man. Now notice, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It's easy to see the contrast as our Lord states it. One man is rich. Now understand, the Lord doesn't give us all of the details of either man. And I don't want you to jump to conclusion because we don't know the details. Sometimes we just assume that if somebody is rich and somebody is poor, and especially if the rich person doesn't give to the poor person, that means the poor person is a good guy and the rich person is a bad guy. But we're not talking about their morality here. And we have no idea what all might have happened in the lives of these two men. It might be that the rich man had inherited his wealth. And sometimes people that inherit their wealth, you know, they, uh, they, they just want to act like they're a cut above everybody else. And, and sometimes those that inherit a great amount of money, you know, they look down upon those who don't have it. And so it could have been that this guy had inherited all of his wealth and he didn't care anything about that poor beggar laid out there at the gate. He inherited this money and he planned on using it and enjoying it to the best of his ability. But it's also possible that he had cheated and lied to gain his riches. Kind of like the butcher, you know, that put his thumb on the scales, you know, a half a pound of meat and a half a pound of thumb. And it might be that he had cut some corners and cheated and lied, or look, it could be that he just had been an outright thief. He might, he might have stolen all of this money from someone we don't know. But there's also the possibility here's a man that worked hard for what he had. It might be that he got up early in the morning. It might be that he worked hard all day and burned the midnight oil. And a man that by the sweat of his brow had earned what he had. What he had isn't really important. It's how he got it and how he used it. Some of the best people in all of the world are people that God has blessed with a lot of money. There's not anything wrong with that. It's how you get your money and how you use your money that matters with God. And so let's don't just assume that this guy here had cheated someone in order to get all of this money. I'm trying to put the pieces together in this story and trying to be understanding of this man because on the other hand, you've got this poor guy and just as we don't understand about the rich man and how he got his riches, we don't understand how this other fellow came to the point of poverty. It might be if we just made this story a modern story, both of these guys were born and raised in the same neighborhood. It might be that they had gone to school together. 
But the one, he decided that he's going to hang out at the pool halls and he's going to be party hardy, you know, all of his years in high school. And the other guy's really applying himself, makes good grades, gets a scholarship, goes to college, really applies himself, and makes some money. And now here's this other dude that's been out there, a pothead or something, and now he's out there at the gate and he's wanting this guy to feed him. I can almost, I can almost understand why the, why the rich man didn't just contribute to this freeloader in a case like that. Now, now you see, look, we need to look at both sides of the coin. We don't understand. But it might be that this poor man, the beggar, it might be that due to circumstances beyond his control, that he had come to a state of poverty. Might be that at one time he had just as much as the rich man. But like the prodigal son, he wasted it all in riotous living. I don't know. But I know the rich man, it says, fared sumptuously every day. And here's the other guy out there at the gate. He sees all of this and he's begging. There he is in the hot sun at the rich man's gate begging for, for just some scraps of food. And the only relief he gets is whenever an old hound dog goes out there and licks his sores. What a disgusting, awful sight that is. And we look at those two men and we suppose perhaps that they had nothing in common whatsoever. But that's where you would be wrong. Because we come to the next chapter. And the next chapter has to do with their exit from earth. We see their existence here on earth. But now we see their exit from earth. Look at verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried with the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Although very different in many ways, they both had death in common. The Bible says it's appointed that a man wants to die. And that's something that we all have in common. It is a reality. Now there might be a drastic difference in the way that we die, but we're all going to die. I find it interesting, it says the rich man died and he was buried. doesn't say that about the poor guy. The rich man died and he was buried. Well, I imagine he was. I mean, here's a guy with a lot of money, no doubt a lot of friends. Here's a guy that made a name for himself. And so you better believe that they pulled out all of the stops when it came to tooting his horn whenever he died. And as it was the custom in that day with people like that, they'd take the body and wrap it in the grave claws, and boy, they would have this big, uh, big group of people as they made a spectacle out of the funeral service, and they're going down the, the street, and they go to the tomb, and they anoint the body. Look, they even hired mourners to stay there for a number of days afterwards, and you could hear them up there at the tomb, and they would be crying out in mourning. I, I've often said, if you've got to hire somebody to cry over me because I'm dead and gone, save your money. 
good night. But I mean, that's, that's what they did. Why? They wanted everybody to know, you know, Mr. Rich Man has died. And boy, I, I mean, it was the headlines of the newspaper. It was so that everybody would know this guy died. Doesn't say that about the beggar. If nobody cared enough to feed this guy, what makes us think anybody would care enough to pay for his burial? Well, they didn't. As was the custom in that day, whenever a beggar died, they dragged his body through the streets of the city out to the garbage dump and dumped his stinking body out there in the dump where it was burned. It was a common thing then. They treated him like he was a piece of trash. Regardless of how good he has been, regardless of what he might have done, now there is that lifeless body out there in the garbage dump. Let me tell you, he who has the biggest funeral doesn't always have the best future. That takes us to chapter 3 of their story. It starts with their earthly existence, which was quite different. And then we see their exit from earth. But now we see their eternal existence. And the story picks up in verse number 23. And in hell, that is the rich man in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now the beggar is resting in what is called Abraham's bosom, and we're not going to go into all of the details of that, but it was the place that God had provided for those who were believers, those that had been saved and and at the back at that time of, of the of the of history, paradise was in a place that many believe and I believe was actually in the heart of the earth. It was separate from from hell itself, from where the the wicked went, but it was a separated place because until the resurrection of Christ Nobody was going to be going to heaven until then. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody could go to heaven until Jesus Christ, by His own precious blood, applied it to the mercy seat there in heaven and made it possible for people to enter into heaven. So God had prepared this place that is called paradise, Abraham's bosom. And this was a place where there was no suffering. Notice He was resting in Abraham's bosom. But while he is resting in Abraham's bosom, we find that the rich man is in torments, it says. I don't know what all that rich man might have believed while he was here. I don't know. He might have aligned his thoughts with, you know, Jewish tradition. He might have believed, you know, in Jehovah God, and but only to the extent that he believed that God was the Creator or, you know, that God was the founder of the nation of Israel. I, I just don't know what all he might believe. But I'll tell you one thing. I know that he discovered some things that he didn't know before. 
he discovered, number one, that hell is real. Hell is real. You'd be amazed if, you know, if, if people would really be honest and tell you what they feel instead of what they think you want to hear, you'd be amazed how many people do not believe in a literal hell. But hell is real, folks. And death doesn't end at all. Somebody says, well, I'm not worried about when I die, I'm just going to be like a dog. I'll just go back to the dust of the earth. So I'm not going to really worry about it. You better be concerned about it because death doesn't end at all and hell is real and there's no such thing as soul sleep. Like some folks teach. Mary Baker Eddy, for one, taught that and, and, and created an entire denomination of people that followed her false teaching. She even made the statement that you know, nobody really dies. I, I love what one old professor friend said many years ago, and I heard Dr. Noel Smith say, "You know, I'll tell you what they took at old one day she quit breathing, you know, and they took her out to the cemetery and they dug a hole in the ground and put her in it and throwed six foot of dirt in her face." He said, "I'd just about soon be dead as being in shape like that." So let me tell you, let me, let me tell you, there's no soul sleep. You're not going to lapse into some state of limbo out there, you know. You're going to be conscious all of the time. I mean, the very second that you die, wherever you are, you're going to be conscious of it. And there's no purgatory, that is, no halfway house. This silly idea that was generated for the purpose of actually generating money. It's what it was all about. And to think that somebody's going to pay and pray to get you out of purgatory is nonsense. There is no such place as that. And he discovered that. He died, and it says, and being in hell. And then he discovered that the saints can't help you. He, he's praying to Abraham. Abraham is the friend of God. He's the father of the faithful. He's the one that more than anybody that all of the Jews looked up to. So he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. I just need a drop of water on my tongue. And he discovered there's no second chances. Abraham said, there is a great gulf fixed. I can't come there, you can't come here. There was no second chance. And folks, let me tell you, if you're in that group the rich man was in, there won't be any second chance for you either. If you call yourself a Bible believer... You cannot deny the existence of hell. Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody. There are 264 chapters and 27 books in the New Testament and 234 times it speaks about a place of punishment and judgment and condemnation. Think about that. More about hell than there is about heaven, and we don't think nearly enough about heaven, but we sure don't think nearly enough about 
the subject of hell. Send Lazarus that he might just take, put a drop of water on the tip of my tongue. That tells me he retained his physical desires. You ever thought about that? Let me tell you, physical desires can be extremely strong. That's why we get addicted to everything from food to drugs to whatever it might be. There's a verse over in the book of Revelation says, He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. In other words, it is indicating that the person who dies without Christ and goes to hell, that person, whatever he was, whatever his desires are, he will retain those desires even in hell. Can you imagine that? Someone that is an alcoholic, have you got any idea what it's like to, to crave alcohol? I mean, your hands are trembling, you think you can't make it, you've got to have another drink, and you'll do almost anything to get it. And drugs can, of other kind can be even worse in, in some ways. And can you imagine spending eternity craving for what you're addicted to? Well, you think whether it's food, whether it's water or whatever, he wanted water. But he couldn't get any. He retained his physical desires even in hell. He requested relief. I suspect that the, the largest prayer meeting ever conducted will be the one there in hell where those Christ rejectors are begging for relief from God, but there will be no relief. Something else, he remembered God's goodness. He really did. Abraham said, son, remember in your lifetime you had your good things. The Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Make no mistake about it, the biggest atheist or agnostic that you know of, in that judgment day, every one of them will have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who the Bible said that He was. But it will be too late in that day. And since the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance and God calls us His Son to shine on the just and the unjust alike and He sends the rain on the thankful and the unthankful because God has been so good to every one of us. Those people in hell are going to remember God's goodness. Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime God had showered you with all of these good things. Living there in the lap of luxury and all of the things that you enjoyed, faring sumptuously every day. And now he remembers that. And there's nothing he or anybody else can do about it. And did you notice he even remembered the plight of those that he cared somewhat about. He's talking about his brothers. He says here, I have five brethren in verse number 28. I've got five brothers. 
He said, if I, you know, if I can't get out of here, if I can't go back, if I can't get any relief, would you just send Lazarus? Send him back there so he can tell my five brothers, don't come to this place. Somebody says, oh, I don't mind going to hell. I have a lot of friends there. Believe me, there's nobody there that wants you there. Nobody. And I kind of suspect that evidently these brothers, that's why I suggested earlier, maybe this beggar and the rich man had been raised in the same neighborhood, been brought up together. They knew each other. Because he wants Lazarus to go back to back to the uh, family. And get the picture here. There's a knock at the door. It's one of those five brothers. And he answers the door, and there stands Lazarus. He just watched them pitch his body in the dump the other day. It can't be. But here is Lazarus, and he says, you know, I am on a mission. Your brother is in hell, and he has a message for you. He wants me to tell you, don't. Come to that place. The people that don't care anything about people now, believe me, whenever they get to hell, they're going to have a different story. He's begging for his brothers to to be saved. And while all of this is going on, verse 25, Lazarus is resting in paradise. You know... If we fail to look at the big picture, we always feel sorry for the wrong man, right? Somebody looking at this from that standpoint of life here on this earth, and they see that rich man up there on the hill in his mansion and with all of his money and everything, and then they see that poor old beggar out there and they think, boy, it'd be horrible to be in the shoes of that old beggar man out there. It'd really be wonderful if I could be a rich man like that guy in the mansion, you know. Well, they're feeling sorry for the wrong person. Because now the tables have turned. Notice the beggar has reason to rejoice, but the rich man has only reason to regret, and he is in torment. Things are different now. And here for the beggar, regardless of what he experienced on earth, now there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no, no disappointments. There's not, notice there's not one question. There's not one complaint about anything he had endured here on this earth. Nothing at all. He doesn't accuse God of being unfair with him. You know, Lord, I just you don't know, think it's fair that you let me lay out there at the gate and nobody would feed me and those old dogs would come by and lick my sores. No complaints whatsoever. And the reason is because now it's all glory and no grief. He's resting in the place that God had prepared for him. Now we can't we can't end the story without thinking about what is it that made the difference. 
We, look, I don't know what made the difference as to whether, you know, the one guy was wealthy and the other guy was a beggar. I, I don't know how that came about. I, all I know is that one was rich and one was poor. Don't know any of the details. God didn't tell us. I don't know what made the difference. I don't know exactly how they died. Believe me, in many cases, there's a big difference in the way a Christian dies. In my old Bible, uh, that's hopefully being prepared in the back of it, I, I have the testimony, the last words of believers on one page and unbelievers on the other page. There's a big difference. To know whenever you're closing your eyes and your spirit is about to leave this body and they're going to pronounce you dead and to know that you'll wake up in the presence of the Lord makes all the difference in the world. But I don't know those details in this case. I don't know exactly the details surrounding their death. But the one thing I do know that really isn't even written here, but I know that it's true. And that is that there was a change in the life of the beggar at some point in time. The beggar became a believer. The beggar became a believer. That was the only thing that made the difference in eternity. One was a believer and the other wasn't a believer. Oh, if we could just stop this morning and think about all of the blessings of believing. Just go to Romans chapter 5 and start there. Boy, and wow. Uh, Kenneth, he knows what I'm talking about. He has been there. He knows what those verses are. And to think about, we have peace with God and acceptance with God. And the list goes on and on. A lot of times I talk about having joy unspeakable and full of glory and the peace that passeth all understanding and on and on. And Paul just heaps those superlatives on one on top of another, trying to describe the blessings of being a believer. If you're not a believer, let me tell you, you're missing out. And I'm not talking about just missing out on peace and joy and happiness and things like that. I'm talking about you missing out for all of eternity. Just as we need to think about the blessings of a believer, we need to think about the horrible suffering of those that die without a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, I am so ashamed of myself that I could even think about standing here this morning and talking about hell and, and preaching on that subject without a tear in my eye. I, I don't understand how, how my heart, I started to say our heart, Maybe you're not, maybe, maybe you're not that way, but I'll tell you, I get, get so cold and calloused and indifferent that sometimes we think about our own family members, the people that we love more than anyone on the face of this earth. And by their own admission, they've never received Christ as their Savior. If they die, they're going to spend eternity in a devil's hell. And for some reason, you know, 
You talk about a need for revival. We need a revival that will break us. We get concerned about all of the wrong things. Believe me, let me tell you, there in hell, there was nothing that mattered to that rich man other than his hope of wanting out of that place. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, regardless of how much you've prospered in this life, you're a loser. What, what good does it do if we inherit the whole world and lose our own soul? It's of no benefit whatsoever. The wonderful thing is, is that in just simply believing... All of that can change. Just by you putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we believe in our heart, is the way the Bible puts it, if we believe in our heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. only two groups of people, every person on earth is in one of those two groups of people. It's not divided up into denominations or anything like that. We're either believers or we're non-believers. The non-believers can really be religious. But there's a big difference between being religious and being redeemed. And redemption comes only as a result of us placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't, I hope you will before you leave here. Please do. Don't put it off another day. I, I don't know. It might be that old rich man. Somebody might have talked to him the day before. He had plans like that other guy, remember, that talked about, he said, I know what I'm going to do. He had all of these riches and he prospered. He said, I'm going to tear down these barns and I'm going to build more new, bigger barns. And I, boy, he had a lot of plans for the future. And the Lord said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't have a promise that you have 30 more seconds. You don't know that you'll have another day. You don't know you'll live to see Christmas. Whatever you do, don't put it off. Settle it with the Lord right here, right now, this morning. Would you do that? Let's all stand together. Father, thank you for your saving grace. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us a glimpse of of how terrible hell is and how wonderful our hope in Christ is. And I just pray this morning that you'll use your word to speak to hearts today. Lord, for those that are unsaved, that they might be saved. And for those of us that have been saved, God help us to be more concerned. Sometimes we walk through this life and act like there's really nothing problematic at all about not being a Christian. And I just pray that you'll do whatever, whatever you have to do to make us the witnesses that we need to be to our loved ones. Give us a heartfelt concern like the compassion that Jesus demonstrated 
when he walked here upon this earth. We pray you'll save the soul that's nearest hell here today and that you'll glorify yourself in someone's salvation. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.